Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday, April 12, 2021, people. Hope everybody had a great weekend and hope everybody is ready for a loaded Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I should mention right off the top, by the way, uh, probably only doing two episodes this week. Uh, I will be traveling from the front and middle end of the week and maybe for the next week or two, we only get to two episodes a week as the news cycle probably will ramp down a little bit, but we will still cover the coaching basketball carousel, the college basketball coaching carousel, tripping over my own words there. Obviously, any big transfer news. We will probably hit on a lot of NFL draft here in the next couple weeks, but probably only two episodes this week. Back to the Monday-Thursday routine, but loaded show today, so let's get into it. You know what the topics are. We will give you the latest at the University of Arizona. When I last recorded, Sean Miller had just been fired. I gave you an initial list, but there have been a lot of interesting developments Uh, at Arizona. I'm recording here late afternoon, early evening on Sunday. Uh, And as things continue to evolve, we'll continue to cover this story. I'll let you know what I know. I think I have some interesting info that nobody else really will share with you. From there, we'll hit on kind of an interesting development from our old buddy Dick Vitale. He went off. He railed against transfers in college basketball. Uh, And I'll tell you, like, like, I don't think this is a particularly compelling topic because I talk about this all the time but it became a national storyline you know many of my friends at Fox Sports Radio Chris Broussard Rob Parker were talking about it so I will give you my opinion on Dick Vitale going off on the transfers and then we will wrap we'll obviously talk a little more transfer news as Louisville Arkansas and Indiana all pick up big transfers we'll talk about that and then great guest for the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast on the back end Io DeSumo the runner-up for the National Player of the Year, Koozie Award winner. Big thanks to Hoops Hall, uh, who hands out the national awards. Io DeSumo is the guest on today's Aaron Torres podcast. Really fun interview. And by the way, if you if you don't see that, if you listen to this podcast and don't watch it on YouTube, Io DeSumo, first person to ever show up to an interview with the Aaron Torres podcast wearing a suit. Kid is a total class act, uh, and I wish him nothing but the best at the next at the NBA level. But fun conversation with him coming up. All right, so let's get into the topic of the day uh, in college basketball, and frankly, it is the same topic that has been the topic of the day across the sport uh, for really the past four or five days, and that is the future of Arizona basketball. Obviously, the last time I recorded, Sean Miller had just been fired on Wednesday into Thursday. And as I record here late Sunday, Arizona still does not have its next head basketball coach. And so because of that, I just this all comes with a quick warning, right? It all comes with a grain of salt that says, as I record here on Sunday afternoon, this is what we know. Things can change by the time you listen on Monday, by the time you listen on Tuesday. It is possible that this narrative has flipped, that Arizona has its new head coach. And so I don't want any of you yelling at me like, uh, yeah, Torres, they hired their coach. Like, I understand. But as I record here, I need to give you information in real time. And here is what we know as I record here, middle to the end of the day on Sunday. And really, let's just backtrack, give you the full details, okay? So it starts, what, Wednesday afternoon, about 36 hours after the national championship game, and that time frame may be important momentarily. I'll explain why. But Sean Miller gets fired as Arizona's head coach. 
And if you follow this show, you already heard my spiel, so I won't get too much into it. But I didn't agree with the decision. Not saying that Sean Miller had to keep his job in perpetuity for the rest of his life. But what I am saying, by the way, like Bill Self, I should mention. But what I am saying is there is a right and a wrong way to do it. There is a smart and a dumb way to do it. The right way to do it was to either fire Sean Miller years ago when this when this NCA investigation first began or fire him at the end of the NCA investigation. To me, it made no sense to fire him in the middle of an NCA investigation because you truly have no idea who will actually take this job if there'll be an upgrade over Sean Miller. And as I mentioned on the last episode, they actually have a pretty good team coming back next year. I would have wrote out Sean Miller to the end of the investigation, but I would also say it's worth noting there was a way to do it as well where you could maybe fire him right after this season, allow the players to make decisions on what's best for their futures, allow assistant coaches, none of which had anything to do with the initial investigation, allow them to get on their feet. Instead, uh, Arizona does the dumbest thing possible and they fire him a month after the season, or at least it appears dumb on paper. We'll explain why momentarily. Uh, but when that happens, obviously, there, there's a list of candidates that comes out, and they all kind of perfectly make sense, right? And I will give credit to Arizona for one thing. They did not target the Jay Wright, Mark Few, Chris Beard class of the world, and this was never going to be a, I don't know, a, a, a three-week search for a new head coach. They fire Sean Miller immediately, most of the names have direct ties to Arizona. Josh Pastner, the head coach at Georgia Tech, who was a longtime assistant at Arizona, student manager there. His story is well documented. Damon Stoudemire, former NBA player uh, who uh, started at Arizona, played at Arizona, was actually an assistant at Arizona, now is the head coach at Pacific. And I think he's actually a really good coach. I mean, his record doesn't indicate it, but Pacific is a really hard job. Obviously, Miles Simon was another name that came up, the star of the 97 Arizona National Championship team. Um, and there was a few other external ones as well. The most notable one, Tommy Lloyd, the lead assistant at Gonzaga. And I'm not going to lie. When I initially put out my list of candidates, I kind of put him on the back burner as like, yeah, he's a candidate, but I don't know if he'll take the job. He does have the coach and waiting job at Air, at uh, Gonzaga, excuse me. And so I, I understand both sides of it. I understand him not wanting to wait for Mark Few forever to get rid of that to get rid of that job. Um, and Mark Few's only 58, so it might be another 10, 15 years before Tommy Lloyd is named the uh, actual coach at Gonzaga. But then on top of that, I also see the opposite perspective, which is just the idea that, you know, uh, do you really want to take Arizona? When you do leave Gonzaga, do you really want to go to a school that as good as Arizona is as a job is going to deal with major NCAA investigation? And so since then, this is what I'll do now. I'll tell you what, what has happened and what I think will happen. So what has happened is since then, basically three guys, as best I know, have interviewed for the job. Damon Stoudemire interviewed Thursday, Miles Simon interviewed Thursday, and Tommy Lloyd interviewed on Saturday. And when the, uh, when the job first opened, I assumed it was going to be Damon Stoudemire. I assumed it was going to be Josh Pastner. I assumed maybe an outside candidate like a Mark Pope. But at the same time, I will tell you this. I got a few interesting phone calls that made me believe that Tommy Lloyd is the lead candidate, is the guy that Arizona wants, and frankly, maybe even the guy that Arizona has wanted all along, even when Sean Miller was still a sitting head coach. That's right. I'm telling you. I think Arizona was a little bit, you know, they had the ring on their finger, but they took it off and they were at the bar and they started talking to other girls. I'm not saying that's definitive, but what I am telling you is I got a few interesting phone calls over the course of probably the last three or four days, and I want to share with you as much as I can. Um, but I got a call from Arizona, uh, somebody, you know, kind of loosely tied into Arizona on Wednesday night when I put out my initial list of candidates. And what I, what I was told by them was very simply this. Dude, it's cute that you have Damon Stoudemire. It's cute that you have Miles Simon. It's cute that you have Mark Pope. But, dude, just do the simple mental math on when this job opened up and why it opened up the way that it did. Because, as I've said from the beginning, never understood why Sean Miller was fired five weeks after the season ended. Fire him five years ago. Fire him a year from now. Do not fire him five weeks after the season. Well, what this person kind of told me was, dude, just do the mental math. It may have been five weeks after Arizona season, but there were teams still playing, and specifically there was one team with one candidate that was still playing straight through Monday night. And so this is, what, this is my understanding of what has maybe gone on at Arizona. This is from informed sources. I don't want to speculate too much, but this is from informed sources. There are people close to Arizona who truly believe that Tommy Lloyd was the candidate all along and that Sean Miller was always going to be fired all along, and the only reason that they waited this long 
was to wait until Tommy Lloyd finished his season so they could pursue him above board and they could pursue him to be the next head coach. I'm not saying Tommy Lloyd knew that. I'm not saying his agent knew that. But what I am saying is that he was the guy that Arizona kind of had circled maybe as recently as a month ago, six weeks ago, whatever. And they said, you know what, we got to wait till his season ends before we get rid of Sean Miller because we know how all this stuff works with the transfer portal where the second that your coach gets fired, all the players enter the transfer portal. And so essentially what this guy told me was that he believed that uh, basically Arizona was waiting for uh, Tommy Lloyd and Gonzaga season to end and that basically Sean Miller was essentially a very well-paid babysitter to keep his players out of the transfer portal. That was the latest that I got, you know, I don't know, Thursday morning, Thursday night. What I will tell you is I did make a few additional phone calls and I think part of that is true as I record here on Sunday. I don't know that it's 100% true that Arizona strictly kept Tommy Lloyd around or strictly kept Sean Miller around until Tommy Lloyd's season was over. I also do think it's interesting that they waited until Saturday to actually interview him as reported by Jeff Goodman. But what I can tell you definitively based on a number of calls that I've had is that I do believe at least as I record here midday on Sunday that Tommy Lloyd is the leader in the clubhouse. Doesn't mean Damon Stoudemire can't get it, doesn't mean that Miles Simon can't get it, but I do believe that as of right now, Tommy Lloyd is the leader in the clubhouse and that it is his job to lose depending on what happens going forward. Now, what is interesting is he was identified as a candidate Many, many, many days ago, Damon Stoudemire, Miles Simon interviewed on Thursday. Tommy Lloyd doesn't interview until Saturday, and the job still, as I record here, has not been offered. And so the question is, what is going on and what has taken so long? And there's been mixed reports, whether he's interviewed once, whether he's been interviewed twice. But the bottom line remains is that he has not, as I record here, officially been offered the job. And I'm just kind of curious as to why that might be, since it seems clear that he is interested in taking it. One, there's always the possibility that he's just not interested in taking it. There's the possibility that he's been thinking about it, that he realizes, you know what, I have no idea what's coming from the NCAA. We could get a five-year postseason ban for all I know. And do I really want to take over a program that I have no idea what is going on? And so maybe he's working to get some additional stuff in his contract, all that kind of stuff. The other thing I would say, which I do think is a possibility, I think Arizona's administration now is getting major pushback in one of two ways, maybe in both. One... I do think Arizona's administration is probably getting a little pushback, first of all, from the boosters. And it was interesting because as far as the timing of the firing of Sean Miller, one thing that multiple people, including Jeff Goodman, have reported is kind of like the reason Sean Miller didn't get let go earlier is because of the fact that not all of the big boosters at Arizona, and it is worth noting, Arizona, while a very prominent basketball program, it does not have a huge circle of boosters. This is not Ohio State. This is not Texas. Is there aren't 20 people donating $10 million a year to the athletic department. You know, it's, it's, it's four, five, six guys, maybe girls, that really have a lot of say in this. And so there was some, you know, the reason Sean Miller hung on for as long as he did, and this was reported by Jeff Goodman, is the idea that, um, you know, the boosters weren't all in line. Well, maybe, well, according to Jeff Goodman, the boosters finally got in line. That's why Sean Miller got let go. But maybe all the boosters were not totally aware that someone had decided that Tommy Lloyd was going to be the next guy or even the favorite. I think what is also a definitive possibility, I do think Arizona's getting a lot of pushback from its former players that are pushing for an Arizona guy to have the job. One, it is the current trend, right? Mike Woodson to Indiana. Does it work? Will it not? I don't know, but he is an Indiana guy that has support from a lot of the former Indiana players. Same with Hubert Davis. And so I think the Arizona guys are sitting there saying, we got three pretty good candidates internally with Josh Pastner, Damon Stoudemire, Miles Simon. Why are they not even being considered? Or why are you bringing in a guy from the outside to give the job to somebody that has no ties to Arizona, whatever? And so it would not surprise me if Arizona's administration figured we're just going to sneak Tommy Lloyd in the side door under the cloak of darkness and they got major pushback because it has been public that uh, Damon Stoudemire is the guy that has the support of the former players and what you need to understand about Arizona is for all the talk about uh, you know North Carolina this and UConn that and Duke this and Duke that there are a lot of former Arizona players that have very prominent voices in the sport of basketball think about it Steve Kerr head coach Golden State Warriors. I think he's probably one of the five most influential voices non-player in all of basketball, right? It's Greg Popovich, it's Coach K, it's maybe John Calipari, and then it's Steve Kerr's right there. 
You don't you don't think you don't think he's pushing behind the scenes for his guy or somebody that he believes is the right guy. Uh, Luke Walton, former NBA head or current NBA head coach, excuse me, former Arizona player. Richard Jefferson, one of the most prominent people in the NBA media right now. Uh, he's on ESPN, I believe, is an Arizona alum. On top of that, uh, you got all sorts of other guys that that you know have prominent platforms as well. Gilbert Arenas kills it in the podcast YouTube game. He has a prominent voice and sway. And so I think whatever the reason is, I don't think this Tommy Lloyd stuff is as done of a deal as I think a lot of people thought uh, maybe 48 hours ago. Like I said, I was told he was essentially the leader in the clubhouse. Well, now he's interviewed on Saturday morning, and as of Sunday night here, there still has been no head coach named at the University of Arizona, so it remains to be seen what is going on. I still think Tommy Lloyd will ultimately be the guy, but it is clear there is something going on behind the scenes that is keeping this from being a done deal and I will be fascinated to see what it is because we do not have answers I will keep you updated by the way I will mention on the next episode whenever I uh you know whenever I do my next episode I will either tell you why I like the Tommy Lloyd hire why I like the David Stoudemire hire um, but I do expect a hire to be coming soon but it's clear there is something going on here behind the scenes that is holding up this hire I do expect it to be done here pretty soon all right, let's transition to the other big topic in college basketball. And uh, how about your boy Dick Vitale coming out of nowhere, talking about transfers, crushing transfers. Um, and, and look, I'll just be honest. Like, to me, the transfer stuff isn't a particularly interesting topic. Um, you know, my stance on transfers has been the same forever. I believe that if your coach gets fired, if your coach leaves, you should be able to leave without having to sit out a year, right? It's not fair if you decide to come to North Carolina to play for Roy Williams and he retires a year later that you have to stick around North Carolina or if you want to transfer to Kentucky or Texas or Tennessee or Florida that you have to sit out for a year. Uh, if a coach can leave and a coach can coach next year, a player can leave and a player should be able to play next year. But I also believe for everybody else, if you just want to leave, if you just don't think it's the right decision for you, I think you should have to sit out for a year. I think it would force a lot of players to seriously reconsider. I don't want to do the whole, like, these players are soft. Every time things get tough, they leave. But I do think there's, like, a little bit of something to that. Um, and I also think it would keep coaches from running off players if they knew that, oh, by the way, uh, this kid can't go anywhere. Maybe I need to work a little bit harder to develop this guy, and I'll get in trouble because everyone will know that I ran this guy off. So in my opinion, my stance has always been that if your coach gets fired, if your coach leaves, you should be able to go without having to sit out. And if not, you should have to uh, you should have to sit you should have to sit out for a year. But what has become interesting is that over the last year, you know, my opinion hasn't changed, but I have kind of come to accept this one-time transfer rule is coming into place. And the one-time transfer rule, of course, basically says that a player has one opportunity at any point in their college career to transfer without having to sit out a year to transfer and become immediately eligible. I don't like the rule personally, but I've come to accept it. And it is kind of funny, however, that on the flip side, there are a million other media members that for years have basically said, um, you know, hey, guys should be able to transfer if they want to be able to transfer. Uh, why do they have to sit out? It's not fair, blah, blah, blah. Well, those same media members are now complaining about the fact that uh, there's so many players in the transfer portal. Well, you don't put any rules in. You don't put any checks and balances in. This is what happens. But again, to me, it is not a super compelling topic because of the fact that I t I've talked about it for years. I don't like the one-time transfer rule. I don't think it's the right idea. But at the same time, I can't do anything to stop it. It's out of my control. Mark Emmert isn't calling me to ask about it. And so because of it, I've just kind of moved on. I've kind of accepted it. In many ways, it's helped my career because there is so much interest in transfers, and we'll get into that in a minute. But I, I bring it up because it kind of became a national talking point over the course of this week, and it really became a national talking point thanks to our old buddy Dick Vitale. Dick Vitale, ESPN, I think largely outside of Coach K, John Calipari, formerly Roy Williams. Dick Vitale is basically the face of college basketball. I mean, he's been around forever. I mean, I'm in my 30s. I don't remember college basketball without Dick Vitale. But Dick Vitale, very prominent voice. I don't think he realizes the power of Twitter. But on Friday morning, he goes on Twitter and just goes on a rampage. And I'm, I'll, 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 I'll wrap it in one brief tweet. And the tweet that, uh, that Dick Vitale said this. This transferring all over the place is going to destroy our great game. The NCAA should think twice before officially making it that the players can transfer without sitting out a year. The chaos going on is sickening. Only should allow players to transfer without sitting out when a coach leaves. So what I would say is this. Dick Vitale basically has the same stance that I do. 
Uh, I don't know that Dick Vitale, with his all-caps tweets and his awesome baby with a capital A, I don't know that he is the voice because I don't think that he, and I don't want to sound offensive when I say this, but I don't think that he can he is fully articulating how and why he feels this way. So let me get into what Dick Vitale said. Let me add some nuance and some context because I have wanted to talk about this transfer stuff. I have wanted to talk about some stuff I've heard behind the scenes. And I do want to use Dick Vitale's tweet as a jumping off point because I don't think it's totally fair to say that it is going to ruin college basketball. But I do think there are some unintended consequences of the one-time transfer rule, which nobody is talking about. And so let's start with the fact that it isn't the worst thing in the world and it isn't ruining college basketball. Like it is like like it's just indisputable. It is not ruining college basketball. Uh, We just watched an NCAA tournament. 17 million people watch UCLA Gonzaga. LeBron was tweeting about it. John Morant was tweeting about it. Um, Donovan Mitchell was tweeting about it. A lot of people were into that Gonzaga UCLA game. Who was the best player on the floor that night? Johnny Juzang. He was a transfer. Uh, Andrew Nemar transfer. So transferring like like let's just get it out of the way. Transferring is not ruining college basketball, and in many ways, I think it's actually made it better for college basketball because we now have a new talking point every offseason with this transfer stuff. It was funny. I remember talking to my buddy Nick Coffey about three, four weeks ago, and he said, you know, once it became clear that Louisville wasn't going to be in the NCAA tournament, he said, now I'm just looking forward to transfer season. It's going to give me something to talk about for a month, and I will tell you, This has been, in many ways, the best thing that has happened to college basketball is the one-time transfer rule. And again, I do find it funny, these these reporters that are complaining about, oh my God, transferring's out of control. Dude, this just made your sport more relevant. I mean, we all love college basketball, but let's be honest. We we remember the old days where you'd get one shining moment on the first Monday in April, and then you basically didn't even think about college basketball uh, until October or November with Midnight Madness. Well, now, the entire month of April, sometimes into May, is all about transfers, and it's all about figuring out who's going to go where, who's going to go what, and it has created free agency, and it has created interest in college basketball. So not only, one, it just hasn't ruined college basketball, but two, it has created interest in a way that there has never been interest in the college basketball offseason. I should mention, probably better than I'm doing, I run a a transfer website called College Basketball Transfers with some friends where we're constantly updating all the news in the transfer market. I can tell you right now, the interest in that website is through the roof. The numbers that we do on that website are insane in a way that you could not possibly imagine, and it is because of the interest in the transfers. And so it hasn't ruined the sport. In many ways, it has created more interest. But I also like do want to say that there are some long-term ramifications and long-term consequences that I don't think are good for college basketball that I do think hurt the sport. And again, my opinion hasn't changed. I don't think the one-time transfer rule is good. Uh, you know, my job is to kind of tell you about all the stuff behind the scenes, and so let me tell you about it. First of all, and this might not be important to some people, but it's not good for, like, the one-time transfer rule is not good for graduation rates, right? Like, many of us went to college, many of us transferred, and as you know, um, you know, all your classes don't necessarily transfer. And so when you had the extra year, you had time to make up for, uh, you know, the classes that didn't transfer, the credits that don't transfer, and you have time to make things up in the classroom. I think it also helps in many ways kids get get ahead when they're sitting out as a transfer because at that point – um, you know they can uh, you know they can take extra classes they can do what they need to do without having to worry about basketball and so I talked to a coach the other day he's like this is awful for tra- for uh, for graduation rates the bottom line remains um, that we're gonna have kids that that come in they're gonna lose a bunch of their credits and then their four years are gonna be up they're gonna have to go and they're not gonna be able to graduate now I know in theory they could come back and they could do this they could, but you know you're 22 years old you want to play basketball for a living you want to get paid to do it and so I don't think that in the long run, uh, a lot of the a lot of guys that were on track to get degrees are not going to get them and are either not going to get them ever or are going to have to come back years later and get them. It is going to impact tra- uh, graduation rates. That is indisputable. You can argue with me about a lot of things. You can be the tough guy on Twitter that thinks you know everything. I'm telling you, I have heard that from multiple coaches. I am positive about it. There is zero debate. It is going to hurt graduation rates. And at the end of the day, one, this is still college athletics. These kids are still college students. And two, let's be honest. The kids that are transferring are generally not the kids that are going to go make $200 million over the course of their NBA careers. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying this is a real-life consequence. The other real-life consequence, it's hurting high school recruiting. It's funny. I said it a year ago. I said, I think we're headed toward a not-too-distant future where most programs, or at least some programs, stop recruiting high school players altogether. Because when you recruit a high school player... You get a younger, more immature kid. 
Um, you get a, a kid that's never been away from home in some cases. You have a kid that's never had to deal with academics in, in a college setting before. And, uh, you know, I, it's going to hurt high school kids, whereas if you take a transfer um, – you know, you get a, a bigger, stronger, tougher player, a kid that's been on a college campus, a kid that has proven it at the college level. And so I said a year ago, I said, there is a not-too-distant future where teams just stop recruiting high school players altogether, and I think it was expedited. That, that process was sped up because of the pandemic where coaches weren't able to go out and recruit high school players. So now they're all kind of sitting there seeing the same thing that a guy like Eric Musselman saw five, six years ago. Why get an 18-year-old kid that's never been in a college weight program, that's never been away from home, that's never been in a college uh, program from a systematic scheme point, all that stuff, when I can go get a 22-year-old kid that's been in college, that's been played college basketball that's done it at this level? And so the high school players are being hurt. Um, and the crazy part about it is I always just assumed that the transfers were only going to help the high major programs and that the mid-major programs were actually going to be a developmental place for the high majors, right? Like um, William and Mary is going to recruit a high school kid. He's going to blow up as a freshman, going to transfer to Kentucky, going to transfer to um, Tennessee, going to transfer to UCLA, whatever. That is still the case. Just in the last couple of days, um, you know, Arkansas got a commitment from South Dakota. Auburn got a commitment from Eastern Kentucky, on and on and on and on and on. But what's actually happening is the opposite. It's not just the high majors that say, we don't need the high school player anymore. We're going to go get a good college player. The mid-majors now have decided there is no point for me to recruit a high school player. And it sounds crazy, but I talked to a mid-major head coach. This is verbatim what he told me. He said, there is no reason for me to recruit a high school player anymore because here's why. If he plays really well, he's going to want to transfer up. And if he plays really poorly, he's going to want to transfer down to a lower level. And so what's the point of me even bringing that guy into my program when I know that he is going to transfer one way or the other? I'll go get a transfer. I'll go get a guy either that was really good at the lower, lower, lower level or really bad at the high, high, high major level because once I get him into my program, he can't go anywhere. He can't sit, he's going to have to sit out for a year if he decides to leave. That is a fact. That is indisputable. Not only are the high majors picking off the best players from the mid-majors, but now the mid-majors are saying, I'm not recruiting high school players either. And for everybody that's going to sit there and say, well, you know, it's the same number of scholarships. You know, the high school players have to come in somewhere. No, they don't. You know why? Because the transfer stuff is so prevalent and so crazy, most coaches aren't filling their 13 scholarships. They don't see a point to it. Why am I going to fill 13 scholarships when I know that if I don't play all 13 guys and they don't get enough shots and they don't get enough this and they don't get enough that, they're going to transfer? What most coaches are doing are filling 10 or 11 scholarships tops, many of them with transfers that have already used their one-time transfer, and they're leaving two, three, four scholarships open. The days of, of freshmen developing in the program, I don't want to say they're dead, but you really got to trust a kid that he really wants to be on a path that is a three- and four-year path and not a one- or two-year path. And so the idea that, oh, the scholarships are going to come from somewhere, um, you know, or the high school players are going to get a scholarship somewhere, it's just not true. Most schools are no longer using ten or all 13 scholarships. They're down to 10 or 11. Um, you know, and finally, like, I just think it's bad because, uh, you know, I think it, listen, I think it's bad for teamwork. I think it's bad for this. I think it's bad for that. But again, I've also accepted that this is the reality of where the sport is. Um, and so, you know, I just find it interesting. You know, it's crazy because I am not a person, like, I just kind of feel like, you know, I talk about the topics that are relevant to my audience, but again, to me, this isn't a very interesting topic because I've been saying for three years, I think the one-time transfer was a terrible idea, but I did find it funny that everybody else caught up. I don't know if I mentioned it, but like my buddies, Chris Broussard and Rob Parker from Fox Sports Radio were talking about it on their, their Monday through Friday show. And I was like, wow, this must be a big topic if Chris and Rob are talking about it. Um, but it shows you how quickly the landscape is changing and this is a big topic. So shout out to Dick Vitale because I have wanted to talk about this topic in general on my show I have never liked this rule, but I have also accepted it is what it is. Uh, and I've also accepted that we talk a lot of transfers on this show now. And so with that, let's talk some transfers. Because again, this is what you guys care about this time of year. Again, I, I run the College Basketball Transfers website. I see the numbers that we do. I see the interest that you guys have. And I know you guys care about this stuff. And so since Dick Vitale went on his rant, since the last time I did, the episode, did an episode, we, did, we have had a ton of transfer news. Let's get you just caught up on some of the news and notes in the transfer portal uh, before we get to Io DeSumo, Illinois point guard, All-American, who was an awesome interview, by the way. First news, biggest news, I don't think many of you will be surprised to hear this. 
Texas Tech guard Mac McClung has entered the transfer portal. It is worth noting he also has entered his name into the NBA draft, so he is following the Marcus Carr route. Marcus Carr, of course, from Minnesota, basically saying, I am going to pursue my professional options, and if it doesn't work and if I don't like what I have to hear, then I will consider going to another college. Ultimately, I don't think it's that surprising. First of all, I think everybody knows Mac McClung, 16 points per game, all Big 12 player, and I will say, I do think he probably shoots the ball a little too much. I don't know if he is a great teammate, but the guy can't fill up the basket, and the guy did single-handedly win Texas Tech some games uh, throughout the course of this regular season, and so now that he's in the portal, I will say, if he does decide to go to college, he's probably like the, the, the second or third best player in the portal right now. Like, when I update my transfer rankings, and I do them every week, I think Marcus Carr will probably be number one, Mac McClung will probably be number two, but ultimately, I don't think it's that surprising that he has decided to enter the transfer portal. He left Georgetown because he did not believe they were developing him into an NBA player. He was looking for a place that would develop him. He found that with Chris Beard. Chris Beard put the ball in his hands exactly how he wanted. And now that Chris Beard is gone, Mac McClung has decided to pursue other options. I believe off the top of my head, I don't know this for sure, but I would guess that his plan is to go down every professional avenue that he can. And if not, he'll come back to college. Will he play for Chris Beard? I don't know. I saw Arkansas fans saying uh, that they think that they have a shot with him because Mac McClung almost chose Arkansas when he transferred last year. That remains to be seen, but I think the big question right now is does Mac McClung play college basketball at all um, after the decision to pursue professional options? We will see what happens with Mac McClung, but I will say as long as he's in the transfer portal until he officially declares for the NBA draft, he is, in my opinion, one of the two or three best transfers available. Uh, in terms of other big transfer news, let me kind of, this is what I'll do. I'll kind of backtrack, and what I'll say is that I believe that as of right now, there are five really big winners in the transfer portal so far this offseason. Four of them got commitments since the last time I did an episode, which shows you how crazy this transfer portal is. So let me give you a quick update on what's going on. The only team that has not had a commitment since the last time I recorded is Kentucky. But I do think when you add Oscar Shibway, a former McDonald's All-American who actually committed in January, with the fact that on top of that, Kellen Grady, uh, I talked about him on last Monday's episode, four-time all-conference point guard or shooting guard or combo guard or whatever you want to call him at Davidson. I think when you add those two in, Oscar Shibway technically wasn't in the portal this spring. I don't know how you can't say that they're a winner when I think they're probably two of the 10 best players that have been in the portal basically since the turn of the year, January 1, whatever. Uh, beyond them, four other winners that I have seen over the course of this offseason – all picked up big commitments in the last three or four days, so we'll talk about them. But they are Alabama, Arkansas, Louisville, and Indiana. My boy Mike Woodson. That's right. Mike Woodson did it again. A lot of big transfer news out of Indiana, but we'll start with Alabama. The late breaking news on Sunday right before I started recording here. They picked up an addition of a power forward named Noah Gurley, who averaged 15 points and eight rebounds per game at Furman last year. Ironically, Furman actually played at Alabama. Noah Gurley dropped 15 points and had two three-pointers in that game. And so, yeah, a 6'8 big guy that can step out and shoot threes, that guy sounds like a match made in heaven for Nate Oates and what Alabama does. Uh, he is in addition, by the way, to Namari Burnett, a former McDonald's All-American who actually also began his career at Texas Tech. I just referenced Mac McClung a minute ago, but Namari Burnett committed late last week. And so just since I recorded last time, Alabama, two major commitments, Namari Burnett, 6'4", uh, 6'5", combo guard, Noah Gurley, 6'8", kind of combo wing, if you will. He's not a low post back to the basket center. We all know how Alabama plays. I think both of those guys are major, major, major upgrades to that team, to that program. And I'm telling you, man, Alabama's going to keep rolling into 2021-2022. And it's the same with Arkansas. Uh, same with Arkansas. As since I last recorded, I think by technicality, uh, Chris Likes, the point guard from Miami, had already committed before I last recorded. Didn't really talk about it, but Chris Likes, a 5'7", dynamic, small point guard, averaged 15-plus points per game each of the last three seasons at the University of Miami in the ACC. He is obviously at 5'7", not very big, but he is quick, he is athletic, he is dynamic offensively. 
And I think the way that Arkansas kind of envisions having him in their lineup is by basically saying, like, look, we now have multiple ball handlers. We now have multiple playmakers. We now have multiple guys that can get to the rim. Chris Likes will play with Devo Davis. And then on top of them, Stanley Amude, a wing from South Dakota who averaged almost 22 points per game, he committed on Friday to the Arkansas Razorbacks. I should mention, this is why you need to follow the Aaron Torres Podcast YouTube page because I posted an exclusive interview with Stanley Amude on the YouTube page. I interviewed him on Friday right after he committed. Really fun stuff. I should actually have an interview with Amari Burnett who committed to Alabama as well. But I only bring that up to very simply say uh, Arkansas did it again. I love Amude. He's about 6'6", 6'7", can play inside, can play outside, can play off the ball, can create for himself. And Arkansas, again, they're building another dynamic team with with kind of that dribble drive, a bunch of guys that can attack, a bunch of guys that can kick out, a bunch of guys that can shoot threes, a lot of what we saw this past season. Additionally, I want to give a, a shout-out to Chris Mack. Chris Mack has killed it in the transfer portal this year. And he is the perfect example, I think I mentioned it earlier, of what Dick Vitale was talking about. I think when Chris Mack originally got to Louisville, he figured, hey, you know, I'm going to pull the Xavier plan. I'm going to bring in guys develop them year one they'll redshirt year two they'll barely play year three they'll be okay and by year four they're going to be stars that's what worked at Xavier well guess what Chris Mack that ain't working and I give credit to Chris Mack because he has evolved and changed his game plan on the fly and on Sunday morning picked up a major commitment from Noah Locke a shooting guard from the University of Florida Uh, Noah Locke averaged 10 points per game this year closer to 11 actually Um, He shot over 40% from three, which is actually down from what he shot in the 2019-2020 season. So Noah Locke becomes the third player uh, from the third player this offseason to commit to the University of Louisville, joining Matt Cross, a big wing kind of forward type player, as well as in addition to that, Jared West, a guy who averaged about 13 a game at Marshall. And I'll tell you this. Louisville has upgraded their shooting, they have upgraded their playmaking, and if Carly Jones, who declared for the NBA draft, if he decides to come back, uh, he has declared for the draft, but if he decides to come back, Louisville to me is a top 25 team, I think they're maybe even a fringe uh, ACC championship contender, depending on what happens in the rest of the conference. Finally, last team, shout out, my boy, Mike Woodson, Mike effing Woodson, big you-know-what Mike, this guy's incredible. This guy is incredible. So, I, I listen, you guys know the deal. I crushed this guy for like three straight episodes. But you know what he's done? He's made some really smart hires. This is another thing. I've done an extensive uh, recap of everything Indiana has done on YouTube. So go to the YouTube page if you want more information. But basically what Mike Woodson has done, I give him credit. I did not know if this was a guy that would be comfortable recruiting out of the transfer portal. What has he done? Indiana had six players in the portal when he got there. Four of them have been removed, including four. When I say removed, I mean they're they're coming back to Indiana, including Christian Lander, five-star point guard, was the number one point guard in the class of 2021, uh, uh, reclassified to 2020. He is coming back to Indiana. The latest piece of news, Race Thompson, who averaged nine points and six rebounds per game last year. He is coming back, and Indiana grabbed a commitment from Xavier Johnson, who played at Pitt last year, averaged 14 and a half points per game and almost six assists per game as well. So shout out to Mike Woodson. At the end of uh, all of this transfer stuff, I'll do a big winners and losers segment, but those are the teams that stand out to me today. Should also mention Tennessee, which picked up Justin Powell. I know they're in the mix for a bunch of other guys, but those are the teams that to me have been really, really good in the transfer portal so far. Kentucky, and then Alabama, Arkansas, Louisville, and Indiana, who have all picked up multiple commitments in the last week. And I think that's it. I think that's it. Enough rambling by your boy Torres. Uh, That's all for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Time for me to get out of here, and time to bring in Ayo Desumu, starting point guard, University of Illinois, number one seed, big, fun, exclusive, long-form interview. We talk about the season, we talk about his commitment to Illinois, the decision to come back this year. He was a guy that could have easily gone pro last year, decides to return. Really fun interview, and just an awesome kid. Um, You know, for those of you, I know most of you are probably listening to this via podcast, but on the YouTube channel, I posted the video. Ayo DeSumo, the first person to ever show up for an interview for the Aaron Torres podcast on Zoom, wearing a suit 
That's how classy this guy is, so I'm excited for him, and I'm excited for his NBA future because I think he's going to be a really, really good player, and I do appreciate uh, everything that Io DeSumo did to make that interview possible. And I should mention, I absolutely should mention that the interview was uh, the the hoop hall was was who helped uh, kind of you know kind of set up that interview. Hoop Hall picks all the major awards, the Wooden Award, the Koozie Award, which is what Io DeSumo won. Uh, so, so Hoop Hall was very helpful in that. If you want more information on all the award winners, go to HoopHallAwards.com. Also, if you want to do me a favor, follow Hoop Hall on Twitter, at Hoop Hall, dot, at Hoop Hall on Twitter, at Hoop Hall on Instagram. But Hoop Hall was very helpful in setting up the Io DeSumo interview. So, that is all for today's episode. Or this, that's all for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. Obviously, Podcast Addict is for the Android users like myself. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Make sure you're following on social media. At Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com if you have any questions. And again, coming up, interview with Io DeSumo, and I do want to thank Hoopal for making it possible. You want to do me a favor, go check out all the awards, all the details on hoopallawards.com. Also make sure you're following them on Twitter at Hoopal, on Instagram at Hoopal. But that's it. It is time for me to get out of here. It is time for me to welcome in Io DeSumo, point guard, All-American, and Koozie Award winner from the University of Illinois. All right, joining me via Zoom, he is the Koozie Award winner as the nation's top point guard uh, for all, obviously, Hoop Hall is the ones who put out all of these awards. Visit hoopallawards.com for more information on all of the winners. Also, follow Hoop Hall on Twitter at Hoop Hall. Follow Instagram, uh, Hoop Hall at Hoop Hall. But Koozie Award winner, nation's top point guard. And I got to be honest, for people watching on YouTube, the first man to ever wear a suit for me on the Aaron Torres podcast, Io DeSumo. How you doing, man? Thank you. I'm doing well. Um, you know, just been working out a lot, um, getting a lot of work in, you know, just getting my, my body right. I'm working on my game, but I'm feeling good. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, and I appreciate you coming on, man. And it is an incra- it is a crazy time, an incredibly busy time for you. You know, and I, and I kind of want to start at the end uh, and work our way backwards here. But, you know, you're a gentleman that obviously, you know, you grew up in Illinois, you grew up in Chicago, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, you commit to, to Illinois as an 18-year-old, as a highly rated recruit, enter, leave now three years later as a 21-year-old grown man getting ready for the NBA. One, how fast has this last three years gone by uh, and how many great memories did you make at Illinois? Because obviously we all loved watching you, but I'm sure behind the scenes you had a ton of fun being a member of the Fighting Illini. Oh man, these three years went by, you know, so fast. Um, I truly enjoy, you know, every single last one of them. But, you know, I, I remember a time where, you know, I just came in on campus, you know, my mom and uh, my girl, I remember we first, my dad, we came down we, when they first dropped me off. And um, now, you know, being 21 years old, three years later, you know, like you said, I, 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 we've been through a lot, not just myself, but the whole, you know, program. You know, when I, when I came here, um, we were a bottom team in a big 10 then my, um, my first year. Um, we still were a bottom team and then we, we elevated. You know, we put hard work, sweat, you know, tears into you know, getting Illinois back to where it belongs. And uh, now, you know, me entering my name into the draft, pursuing my professional career, I can gladly say that, you know, Illinois, is back um, relevant and back, you know, one of the top schools in the nation. So, you know, I think I accomplished what I came here to accomplish. A hundred percent. And that was actually going to be my, my first question. I mean, I think that it's easy for us to forget now. You win the Big Ten uh, postseason championship. You have an incredible year, number one seed. You know, this Illini program, Coach Underwood, his staff was really just getting things going. Um, I, I know it was a million years ago now, but but what made you want to be a part of this program? Because you could have gone anywhere, continued a rich legacy somewhere else. And obviously, Illinois had a rich legacy before you got there. But you really built your own legacy and really helped rebuild this program. What was it about Illinois uh, that appealed to you so much even three, four, five years ago when you were going through the college process? 
Yeah, definitely. You know, what appealed to me was um, basically everything that happened now, you know, seeing Illinois all in the media, seeing Illinois as one of the top, you know, um, five to 10 teams in the country all year long, you know, getting the pop proper notoriety that we deserve. And um, that's what I came here for. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of the, the rebuild. I want to be a part of, you know, we were the first team to win a Big Ten championship since um, 2005. You know, I want to be a part of that. I want to be one of the main reasons to get highly recruits, you know, coming in each and every year. And um, I think that, you know, me coming here for these three years, you know, doing accomplish what I accomplished. Um, I think that that in the long run, you know, for my legacy, you know, 20, 15, 20 years from now, I, I don't think that, you know, I could have had a bigger legacy nowhere else because this is my home state. So um, I think that, um, yeah, I just want to be one of the reasons why. No, and, I, and let me ask you about that, because, listen, every young man has his own decision to make. Some guys don't even go to college. Some leave after a year. Some stay four years. Many like yourself, three years, incredible career. Um, but it would have been easy. You had individual success, specifically as a freshman. I think you declared after that year. Last year, you definitely had some team success. Um, but, you know, obviously there was no NCAA tournament in 2020. Um, so, you know, what went in, because I just, I vividly remember your decision to return last year where you're all big 10, you would have been drafted. You would have been a millionaire by now. Um, was it strictly about the legacy? Was it strictly about the opportunity to continue to build what you've done? Because, you know, there's not many guys that, as talented as you that make it to their junior year. I don't want to keep harping on all this, but I just vividly remember where I was when you decided to come back specifically for your junior year. And I said, Oh my goodness, this team's about to be good this year. Yeah, definitely. Um, no, it wasn't um, financially. You know, my family were they were they were stable, so you know I didn't need to rush into anything. So it was strictly about my legacy. It was strictly about me wanting to come back and you know stand on uh, my business, stand on what I what I gave my commitment to. You know, when I committed at the Jordan Brand store, I said, you know, I'm here to bring Illinois back, bring them back relevant again. And um, I knew that after my sophomore year, you know, we were getting you know, some notice, we, we had some people on notice, but we still wasn't where we belong. And um, I think come back one more year, you know, I set some goals for myself um, to accomplish, of course. And um, I just want to attack those goals. And I knew that, you know, me coming back from my junior year, working as hard as I can, then at the end of the day, you know, when I was to leave my junior year, that Illinois would be back where it belongs. Fantastic. You know, you talk about the goals, you talk about your individual success and of course the team success. It's easy to forget now with the way things ended, but you know, you guys were about nine and five, I believe in the middle of January. Um, and then you flipped a switch and, and some of it was when you got hurt and other guys stepped up, but when did you feel like, okay, we came back, we have this pressure. I think preseason top four, top five, top 10, whatever it was. When did you feel like this Illinois group really hit their stride because again I think it's easy to forget it wasn't super easy and you weren't blowing everybody out to start the season um I would say we really hit our stride maybe uh towards the end of the season towards the middle end of the season I believe we went like like seven and one um and then we lost to Michigan State of course but we I think like before those games before that game I think we were we really, we really hit our stride. I, I really believe that we could, you know, win a national championship and compete for a national championship. Was there one moment or one game, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you mentioned losing to Michigan State, but also you beat Michigan, you, you know, you have so much success late. Was there one moment or one game where you realized, wow, like, like we're really hitting our stride. I wouldn't want to play. And by the way, you were on the bench for a few of those games with an injury. I mean, were, was there a game you were watching or a game you were a part of where you said, Man, we're starting to be the team that I thought we could be all along. Um, I knew all season long we were the team that we can be, you know, all along. You know, we played Duke. We played, you know, really well. We had a lot of, you know, success. We showed a lot of um, flashes of being one of the best teams in the country. You know, with our team, just consistency. And um, I think maybe, like I said, towards the end of the season, you know, we played Minnesota. They were only 9-1. and one. Um, They were 9-1 and one the whole season. Um, at Minnesota, they just had beat Michigan, they beat Iowa, they, you know, they beat all the top teams in the country. We went there and beat it by like 30. So you now after that game, I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, we, we, we really beat, we can, we can win the national championship. I remember watching that game. I just mentioned it. How impressed were you by your teammates? I mean, I, everyone remembers it was only a few months ago, but you know, you, you, you have a face injury. You have to wear the mask. We all will remember the mask forever as long as we think of Iowa and Illinois. 
But there was a few games that you were kind of on the sidelines just watching, and guys like Andre Carbello, obviously Kofi, all those guys stepped up and were incredible. Um, how impressed were you with your team watching them from the sidelines? Because it's not often that the star player gets to kind of be a spectator like the rest of us. Yeah, you know, I was um, extremely proud of my teammates, you know, how they came out and faced adversity. You know, they played with an edge. Um, and, you know, they just went out there and, and, and competed. You know, a lot of the teams that we were going against when I was hurt, when they saw I wasn't playing, you know, that you could see them in the layup line getting excited. And uh, you can never, you know, underestimate someone. And um, our team, they took that as motivation. They went out there and competed as hard as they can. So I was extremely proud of them to see them go out there and stride and go out there and play hard for 40 minutes and get those Ws. How excited are you to watch Andre Curbelo these next few years at Illinois? Oh, I'm excited for him, you know, um, him getting bigger, him getting stronger, um, coming back, you know, uh, running the show, you know, you know, keep Illinois uh, where it belongs. So I'm, I'm excited for him. Uh, I'm excited for his growth of his game. I know you're a star, but did he ever do anything during a game, one of those jab fakes between the leg passes that even had you shaking your head? Like, I can't believe I just saw that. Oh, I mean, normally most of the stuff he does in the game, I see it in um, <laughs> I see it in practice. You know, we be plump, we be practicing for two, three hours a day. So, you know, um, all the stuff he does in the game, he, he does on the scout team in practice. Very good. Last couple of questions. We'll get you out of here. First of all, you did mention the Big Ten Championship. Um, you know, you came here with, you know, to build a legacy and you said you had some individual goals and, you know, I would never ask you what those personal goals are, but, um, you know, I'm sure one of them was, was to bring home some hardware to the University of Illinois. How nice was it, exciting was it to go to Indianapolis for that Big Ten championship, end up winning it, you know, you beat Ohio State in a thriller and you did bring home that hardware that you promised Illinois fans when you kind of committed many years ago. Um, it was great. Um, it was great to bring home that hardware because that was, you know, one of my goals. Actually, that was one of my, you know, goals for my freshman year to um, win a Big Ten championship, win a national championship. So to, you know, go out there, you know, with the mask on, you know, play with my teammates, you know, just fight through adversity. You know, that was tough games, beating Iowa, beating Ohio State, beating Rutgers, you know, in a Big Ten, the competitive Big Ten, the deep Big Ten, to go out there and, um, you know, bring home some hardware. That was, you know, you know, really exciting and really a dream because that's what you dream of that. You dream of, you know, winning a championship for your home state, you know, bringing home a championship for your home state, cutting down nets and to really um, accomplish our goal that we had when we first got on campus, you know, that was, that was exciting. All right, I just failed in my job. Like we all get graded on stuff. You were an All-American. I just got sent to the end of the bench because I didn't ask you about the mask. So tell us about the mask. Um, you know, when the doctor first proposed it to you, you're kind of like, I don't, I mean, because it, it was an iconic part of this season. And as much as everybody knew Io, once you threw on the mask, man, it took you, I think it took your notoriety in some ways to a different level. Yeah, definitely. You know, when I, um, when I found out my nose was broke, um, the doctor told me, all right, you have to wear a mask, you know, for the rest of the season. And I was like, all right, you know, that's cool. At first, you know, I was pretty skeptical, but I'm like, all right, I want to get back out there as soon as possible so we can get it done. We went the next day. We went. We got it. I got fitted for it. They got me a mask. They got me a clear one. And then he was like, we think about a black one. I'm like, that's cool. So he got me a black one. We fitted it on. And then I started wearing it, you know. At first, it was pretty irritating, like, I couldn't keep it on for like more than five minutes, um, but I had to, you know, play through it, you know, practice. I remember the first practice I had my mask on, um, you know, looking um, side to side. It was it was pretty, you know, sketchy. Like, you know, it, it wasn't the same without my mask. So I was a little slower, you know, reacting to things, and, you know, um, Coach Underwood, but he was still yelling at me. So, you know, I got I got used to it fast. Um, and then I just went out there and played. You know, I didn't make any excuses. Um, it is what it is. Um, I really enjoy wearing my mask. That was what kept my nose protected. Did the guys give you a hard time the first time you walked out to practice with it? No, nah, everyone always loved the mask. You know, they always, <laughs> it was a, a fan favorite of the mask. Um, so it was, it was pretty cool. It, it was pretty cool wearing it, though. Um, wearing it the whole practice, wearing it in games. It was cool. Fantastic. A couple more. Uh, you know, the first one I do have to ask just very quickly about the Loyola Chicago game. Obviously, it's not how you want the season to end. 
you know, just as you look back on that game, I mean, how frustrating it is, is it for you? Not, not the result necessarily, but that you didn't get to, to, to show the world. Cause you know, we all knew Illinois was capable of winning a national championship and how disappointing was it for you to not be able to show the world just how good this program is, just how good this team is on the biggest stage. But then also I'm sure it was tough for you knowing that it was the last time that you were going to be out on the floor with that particular group of guys. Um, I don't think it was disappointing. I think it was disappointing because we didn't get to accomplish our main goal. But I don't think it was disappointing because, you know, we weren't we weren't planned to, you know, our, our main objective was not to show the world, you know, anything. We we were playing for each other. We were playing, we knew we won the best teams in the country. And we still believe we won the best teams in the country. So um, I think that the disappointment comes in that, you know, we had a goal from the beginning of the year and our goal was to win a national championship. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, showing people like that, that really, that, that really never bothered us. Cause even when we play all the big games, we never played for, you know, whoever was watching. And, um, but disappointment does come in, in the fact that, you know, we knew we were one of the best teams in the country. We knew we could, you know, um, compete, um, against the best teams in the country, you know, to, to lose in a round of 32. And um, our goal was to win that championship. That's where the disappointment came in at. Very good. You know, you said when you got to Illinois, um, you wanted to leave a legacy and you have, um, you know, the program is definitely on the way up. As we mentioned, Andre Corbello, there's a lot of young talent within the program. How proud are you with what you individually, but as a program, as a team accomplished over the last three years, because you did leave a legacy, you know, you didn't get that ultimate last goal to win a national championship, but there were so many things that you did along the way. How proud are you of not just yourself, but, but the coaching staff, your teammates that you were able to do so much in such a short amount of time at the university of Illinois. Oh, I mean, when it comes to, you know, my legacy, you know, I'm, um, I think I definitely, you know, came here and accomplished everything that um, was meant to be accomplished. I think I achieved um, what I wanted to achieve. And I think our program did also, you know, um, at the end of the day, this season, it's only one team that can hold the hardware, you know, at all the other teams in the tournament, you know, every team goes home in the locker room sad, except one team. So um, at the end of the day, when you look at the season, um, sometimes yeah, it's not always, you know, championship or bust. I think this year with the Illinois team, um, we turned so many heads. You know, we, we, we're one of the top teams in the country. You know, whenever you think of Illinois, you're going to think of this team. You're going to think of the 05 team. You're going to think of, you know, one of, as one of the greatest teams. And um, I think going forward, you know, we will be remembered as that. I think going forward, you know, more recruits will continue to come in because they will want to play for the University of Illinois because of, you know, what this team accomplished, what the last team, team accomplished. Last one for me, you know, how excited are you about this next step in the journey? I mean, not just because it's a lifelong goal for every young basketball player to play in the NBA, but, you know, you have a heck of a track record, man, a heck of a resume of being a leader, of being a great teammate, of continuing to get better. I mean, we talked about it. I don't want to rehash it, but you could have gone pro after your freshman year. You could have gone pro after your sophomore year. But again, you now have a resume of every year I get better, every year my team gets better. Um, how excited are you for that next step? And how excited are you to show the next level? Hey, the, you know, Io DeSumo, this guy's just getting started. Uh, definitely. You know, that's my main my main focus, you know, this whole offseason, getting ready for the draft, you know, to show, showcase that I can get better. You know, one of my favorite things is constructive criticism or whenever someone criticizes my game, because at the end of the day, I think that's like, you know, the, the answer to the test. You know, if someone is saying I can't do something, even though I know I can do it, you know, it's just going to maybe go in the gym and work harder at it to make my game to be as complete as possible. So that's what I've just been, you know, really harping on um, these um, workouts, you know, getting bigger, getting stronger, just working on my overall game, working on, you know, my program. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for the next step because the way the program is, you know, the spacing, you know, how, you know, they get open shots, you know, how pretty much it's a, it's a, every time you're in any play it is, it comes down to isolation, whether in a pick and roll or just coming down to being your man and um, making a play. And I think that's really, you know, um, one of the um, strong parts of my game is playmaking. So um, I'm really excited to, you know, just keep continuing to get better, keep continuing to get stronger. And um, I'm excited for the next step. 
He is Io DeSumo, the Koozie Award winner. Koozie Award via Hoopal. Go to hoopalawards.com for more information on Io, all the other winners. Also, make sure to follow Hoopal on Twitter, at Hoopal, on Instagram, at Hoopal. Io DeSumo, my man. Cannot wait. No, I cannot wait to see you at the next level, man. You crushed it. Uh, It's been fun to watch you. Uh, I'm glad I got three years of you because you could have been gone after a year, man. So thank you for the time. Thank you for an incredible career. And we'll speak soon, okay? I appreciate it. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.